Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Ron Teal. How are you, Ron? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for having me here, Tyler, today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Classic, classic Calgary style. Feels like every every intro I do. Someone I knew that's that knew you that actually I think was recently joined your team and I'd met years ago had kind of put us together. And what I love about Calgary, I think it's one of our superpowers as well, the ability to just connect and meet people. But also why I love getting on the show because I had never heard about you guys. You are the president at Expan Interactive and you've been around since 2001. So when I say I haven't heard about you, Calgary's a big small town, but I'd never am ceased to amaze on how many every time I turn a corner, I find or run into some cool company that's doing some awesome work that maybe I haven't heard about, which uh, I, I'm, on, I'm on a mission to meet and meet and greet with everyone who's doing cool stuff in this town. So maybe let's start with telling us what Xpan Interactive is all about and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Xpan's been a, little, been a little bit under the radar. And so, you know, sorry you haven't heard of us because we are amazing, I must say, a little biased. But uh, 2001, uh, 20 years ago, we, we did venture into the digital knowledge space. So, so primarily the e-learning space. And the reason most Albertans haven't heard of us is, you know, we primarily work with, uh, you know, organizations in large industry that are outside of our, you know, current jurisdiction. So we were born in, in Calgary, uh, actually supplying e-learning and computer-based training to uh, the rail industry. So started here with Calgary Transit and then sort of took off to other rail properties around the, around the North America and then globally. And uh, since then, we've actually, uh, you know, sort of uh, evolved and diversified into other areas of other industries, other geographies and other service offerings when it comes to digital knowledge. So things like, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and, and to help, you know, a personalized learning journey and a commercialized learning, learning management system to uh, support it all with infrastructure. So sort of content and infrastructure, but primarily expand sort of mission is to be an empathic, you know, provider for an end learner, you know, human to, you know, that end person that learns in the digital environment, no matter where they are. And that digital environment has changed or just since 2001 till now, like a lot, even, you know, the little, uh, the buzzwords of that we all are starting to become commonplace, like AI and machine learning, virtual and augmented, you know, 10 years ago, those weren't really household terms. Five years ago, those were barely household, household terms. <laughs> Yeah, true. I mean, our, our industry has gone through its own transformation over the last five years, and it really was five years ago. You know, the, we saw the end of Adobe Flash, which was sort of the steadfast infrastructure of e-learning, and uh, and looking at now, you know, rapid authoring, and, and really the fork in the road came when when people really needed knowledge, you know, just in time, where they were, uh, when they needed it, and and also to a more immersive, personalized experience. So the you know the advent of mixed reality. So those two you know forks in the road. So you know. You know, the YouTube generation as well as that immersive learning really changed the digital knowledge landscape about five years ago. And we're mid, midway in that transformation. I think it's still a, a ways to go. It's very exciting times. So we're, we're starting to understand all the, all the opportunities that are out there with this uh, new technology. 
It's, yeah, it's so exciting, and it almost sometimes feels overhyped. But we can we can talk about that a little bit. And there's always the hype and the story, and then there's that chasm of, dis- of despair or disillusionment, and then it kind of picks <laughs> up again. So curious, I got a couple different themes I really want to talk about today. One, you guys are a tech company based in Calgary. You you know were sorry. Do you still call your like when did you stop calling yourself a tech startup? I'm curious. There's just a ra- there's a random out of left field question yeah. for you. Well, it's always day one, as someone someone once said. But uh, you know the the startup we've gone through a number of phases. So we I mean the first first 10 years, we were a pretty sustainable, I would call a mom and pop shop, so a small tech company. And really in 2012, when we just started to scale, uh, we still considered ourselves a startup. And so for the last 10 years, we've been scaling and uh, certainly accelerated in the last year as well. But uh, for the most part, uh, we matured out of a startup as a, I would say in the you know late 2000s, so 2008 to 2010. Okay, so from from a from a from a storyline perspective, I really like you know want to understand your startup journey and some of the you know as you've scaled and evolved your product market fit and moved into different markets, but also really curious about the e-learning space and kind of what's happened. Like you said, as the, in the last five years of that that need for knowledge and with so much reskilling and people moving around, like how we just have to constantly it doesn't get your degree and you're good and then you know just go work on the job and learn on the job. Learning on the job means so much more things. But curious when you just backing up from the startup journey when you first. Came Came on the scene. You said you very much were rail. Were you guys from a from a positioning perspective? Did you were you positioned as we are the experts in, in education specifically with rail? Like, you, is that how you kind of got your momentum? Why other companies looking and say, well, these guys clearly know how to educate around our needs as rail comp- as rail providers or service companies that work in that space. Just curious from the startup journey, was it about that? Or the e-learning piece, or was it what gave you your traction? Is because that industry recognized you as the expert for them? It was certainly the latter, Tyler. Like we actually built that brand organically. We actually came into this quite uh, serendipitously. So we, you know, we were, you know, my background was not e-learning. It was, it was, I was a photojournalist, a marketing person, corporate communications, and a techie. And when we came into the Calgary scene in that sort of dot-com area era, we we realized that computer-based training and learning was a. Uh, you know, was where we wanted to be. And rail was sort of where we landed and, and sort of organically built that brand and what we became known as experts for very quickly. That said, you know, to, to help that journey along, we were still doing other things, you know, in terms of app development, websites, still had a bit of that marketing marketing flavor as well. Uh, but in the e-learning space, uh, the, the light rail North American marketplace was our strong brand position for sure. Oh, interesting. So you guys were, you, I appreciate your background. You and I have talked about this offline as being a, a communicator, like journalism, marketing background. So it, it wasn't, you didn't start this as a pure play. We're just going to do this. There was a few, there was a few other things on as most entrepreneurs. And then eventually the learning piece, I'm assuming really started to rise above the rest. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we are very naive, you know, very ambitious. And uh, we went through the, the, the normal growing pains of a startup in Alberta where, you know, access to capital wasn't quite there. So we, we did get, you know, some venture capital. We did buy some uh, two other companies that helped us in that journey when it came to e-learning and adult learning using digital technology. So it was an amalgamation of about three or four companies and a number of founding partners that um, that evolved over the years. And really, and then really towards 2008, when we had that massive economic downturn globally that made us sort of look inward and then really pivot into becoming a more global player in other industries as well. So we were forced, 
you know, we, we likely would have stayed in the rail uh, silo, but we were, you know, through serendipity again, we're forced to really look um, inward and, and then again, re-strategize towards our global marketplace and other industries as well. And that's when we actually sort of came back home and really looked at the energy industry and where Alberta was in this space and really uh, sort of doubled down on, on actually working on our, you know, with our home partners as well here in Calgary. Interesting. So 08 for you guys was, was not to use and overuse, but don't waste a good downturn, right? You guys used it to motivate and sometimes used it based on we had no choice. We pivoted and we adapted to really broaden out. That's interesting to hear. Yeah, we were, well, we were basically insolvent at the time. So we, 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 we had to... We <laughs> I had appreciate to, the honesty, Ron. <laughs> we had to pivot quickly. Uh, we had, ended up going virtual. We were downtown, you know, traditional bricks and mortar. Uh, we, took the, uh, we took the initiative to go virtual and uh, our team, you know, held steadfast without getting paid for almost six months and uh, reinvigorated ourselves. Oh, you guys, you guys went through it. You guys went through the crucible. Right? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we, wow. uh, we, we persevered. And uh, a little bit of insanity in that as well. But for the most part, came out of it much stronger. By 2010, we were in a much better place and uh, sustainably grew uh, since then. I think it's a powerful lesson. Like that's still, that's at nine years in that that happened. Like that isn't in the first year, we're just getting out of the gate and we had some tough times. So we, you know, we decided to persevere. It was kind of going well. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, literally our 80% of our revenue was turned off like a tap and uh, global wow. partners, mostly in, in the public you know, area arena of that kind of, you know, that, that those funding models sort of went away. And uh, we were forced to look at how we actually can sustain ourselves as a viable organization. That's yeah. Let's just let's let's just sit with eighty percent of our revenue got turned off. Yeah, that's. I have a friend who worked in an IT company, and they said, yeah, they'd lost like forty five percent of their revenue in a week. That that in in 08, like right in the heart of it. Uh, curious, we you know, lots of talk right now, and I have lots of guests on talking about our ecosystem and growing our the tech community in Calgary and how it's even since I started the podcast two years ago, it feels like it's more inclusive and it's more supportive, and there's more infrastructure and there's more investor groups coming in. 08, 09, that was probably a very different, like what was the Calgary, just for anyone listening, who's thinking about where we are now and how much better we need to do and where we've still got these gaps. You've been in this game in Calgary or indirectly been here for the last you know 20 years. Uh, how's that evolved and what was the community like? Was it just a handful of companies? Did you guys, like, was there a connection or were you kind of just on your own doing your own thing? We, we felt like we were on our own. In 2008, when we actually were forced to look inward, I, I, I made the sort of a cognitive effort to come back into the community. Uh, so started volunteering outreach. So ended up sitting on the board of Digital Alberta, became president in 2009, uh, sat on the ICT council uh, for the provincial government, became an advocate for the tech sector here in, in Alberta. And, you know, it was, it was a strong group of, you know, like-minded individuals who really cared deeply for for this tech sector it was quite small we were able to actually you know gain some traction but you know over the few years it, it, it seemed like a tough struggle uh when you know married with you know some of the challenges against you know where this province needs to be against the the current resource based you know, so we're, we're we're trying to diversify and that's always been a topic of discussion in this province around diversification of our economy and um but we were also integrated with industry as well we knew you know we knew tech was part of that as well you know, oil and gas is certainly a progressive industry that utilizes technology and uh, has a lot of that talent embedded into it. So we wanted to do better in working with that in other, that industry to help support the the uh, the endemic tech you know industry and, and be a global player. Um, we wanted to stand to stand on our own feet with that though. Interesting. And you, like, so back even then, you kind of came back here to kind of your roots and dealt with oil and gas, but your clients have always been international. You've always dealt on a, on a global stage in terms of your, your client base. 
has that ever been an issue with being in like being from 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 Calgary? And this is an old like I, I have to stop with this joke, but I've talked to people that were going on trade missions and they were literally like, "What's a Calgary?" Well, like was that ever a hindrance for you guys over the years when you're out there? And did, did anyone even care where you were? Like, did that did that even come up? Was that even a thing? Uh, it certainly had it had its place, um, and that we got what is Calgary a lot. Uh, Calgary Stampede okay. ha- Calgary Stampede actually has a global brand, so that was our leverage. As well as our Rocky Mountains here as well. Uh, but we'll Those are two pretty strong anchors. Yeah, that pretty much you can run into anybody and bam, and Stampede come up when you say where you're from. Where you're from. So we leveraged that a lot, but there, we, we did come a lot across a lot of barriers like you know the Buy America, um, you know global trade. Uh, a number of those in- initiatives that put Canada and specifically Alberta, you know, at a disadvantage. However, in the educational technology space, we found that we always had a strong position. I did a lot of uh, trips as a, you know, f- with the Trade Commission, you know, at, at the places like South by Southwest, where educational technology and Alberta came together. You know, Vancouver was known and Quebec was known for the film and gaming industries, whereas educational technology, you know, we were we were not certainly. Uh, there was no negativity towards that as well. So it gave us a strong position, mostly because we had a real good talent pool here that we got to leverage uh, and, uh, and use that globally. Oh, that's so interesting. I, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's certainly not so. That's, again, why I do the show. I'm like, that's interesting to be known for that doesn't necessarily get a lot of headlines. You don't see that. You don't see that on the front page or second page. So educational technology, when you think about that, what's the blend in your industry from educators versus technologists? And I, I don't know if it's as cleanly divided as that, but there's a lot about the psychology of education and then the technology then that can deliver it. What's that blend look like in, in a company like yours, being that you were a self-proclaimed marketer and journalist before? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. And I I, I, I have a tough time calling us a tech company because technology is just a conduit, right? We are, you know, we are a service people company and we service humans, you know, on, a, on that one-to-one basis. And technology is a conduit. You know, we're all tech savvy, but our, you know, we are primarily a content, you know, education company that uses technology as a, as, as that conduit. Um, so for us to actually understand the psychology of that, we we have to understand how humans are habituated to consuming digital media. And our goal is to really disrupt that and turn that into knowledge and behavior and for the betterment, you know, of the learners and that workforce in general. Uh, so, you know, I like to say that we're, at, you know, we, we call it KX at expand or knowledge experience. So we're all sort of aligned in an outcome for a learner to have a much better learning experience with technology as a conduit. So short answer at the end of the day is, you know, we're, we're educators with technology as a conduit. educators first that have that happen to have really deep understanding and roots and roots in technology is kx is that and again as a marketer i appreciate it. did you guys coin that is that yours or is that a thing i was going to go google it before and i just did it and i was like i'm going to ask because i've never it. seen it before but it made a lot of sense when you say it i'm like oh i, I get it immediately yeah there's a lot of research around experiential learning you know ux adult learning principles and we brought that together with about 20 years of r d around you know what are the pillars around a superb digital knowledge experience that actually doesn't just create compliance or competency, but also you know enhances behavior. But in our mind, it's it's more about fulfillment. You know, we want to make people happy. You know, the learner should have a good, you know, a pleasant experience or delightful experience while learning, and be able to take that knowledge into their world and you know back home into their community as well. Versus hitting you on the knuckles with a ruler when you're not paying attention. To that I'm yeah. just sorry. Maybe I'm harking <laughs> back to my shows potential but doesn't apply himself in class commentary on my report card. But that's another. 
I'm just really glad that permanent file I was always threatened with really hasn't followed me along as much as I thought it was going to when I was 10. But that's, sorry, that's another podcast, maybe some therapy. <laughs> I've had chalk thrown at me, you know, I said, you know, raised in the 70s and 80s, you know, the ruler, the chalk flying at you, little things like that. But. Yeah, yeah, well, those are all, but all those individuals that I happen to sit at the office with at lunchtime, they've all gone on to do really successful things. So I don't know, case study, uh, you know, whatever, example of one. <laughs> only, only time my, will my tell. Own, my own story, reverse engineering my, 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 my story. So how much from, yeah, I appreciate like technology sounds like it's a toolkit for you. Whatever's the appropriate technology that's going to create the learning experience, you guys can pull it off the shelf. And we'll talk about that because that toolkit feels like it's just getting drawers added to it constantly. But when you think about the way that you guys deliver your learning models, how much, I, I'm just curious, is that a proprietary like experiential learning and how humans, like w whether you gamify something, they're so, like that's a rabbit hole you can go down for days. I'm just curious, when you guys do it, is it based on a client comes to you and says, here's the outcome we're looking for. Here's the group of individuals and here's the content. And then you create an experience or do you have more of a formula over the years? Like you made the comment about 20 years of research that you go, no, we know how people learn. And yeah, depending on the yeah, other's going to be some shifts, but fundamentally we follow kind of, this is, this is the best format to allow people to absorb and retain information effectively. Yeah, we'll certainly bring our best practices and research and that toolkit to the table. I, our clients typically come with a preconceived idea of what they're looking for, those outcomes, and of, of course, their business objectives. You know, typically we find clients in three particular areas, you know, whether they're just getting into the waters and trying to assess, you know, what their learning culture is about, or maybe they're in the midst of their transformation around, you know, transforming that learning culture to make one that's a little bit more digitally minded. And then, then there's a the client that just want to accelerate that and, and have a and scale and reach faster. And we help all three of those sort of sectors, uh, you know, assess, transform and accelerate much faster. And depending on what those are, we do call ourselves agnostic. So we, we have a wide array of tools and certainly there's a, you know, a wide array of, of tools in the marketplace that we can bring to the table. Of course, we have our own, we have our own learning management system at XBAN. Uh, we work with many of the top ones out there as well. But for the most part, we want to make sure we don't, we don't expose our clients to, you know, inherent risks that might be coming from lessons that we've already learned. So we, uh, we will typically come with best practices and those lessons learned and provide a viable solution. It's, and you said it very well, it has to be relevant and authentic to them as well, right? So it's not uh, proprietary to us. It is uh, a solution that they would actually get to own and evolve and nurture with or without us uh, afterwards. Okay, I appreciate that. Sounds like over the years, you guys have worked very much with the, the end client, like such as large organizations that want to educate and kind of move their workforces forward. Where's the balance between, and it feels like those lines are getting blurrier now more than ever with post-secondary and like, has post-secondary always been part of your, you know, kind of who you work with? It, it feels like listening to you talk that it was definitely more large corporations, uh, NGOs, government, you know, those organizations less than, than post-secondary or am I kind of reading between the lines incorrectly? No, it's exactly right, Tyler. We, you know, we've uh, primarily been outside of the, the academic or educational space and with industry and NGOs and government, as you said, and, and working with, with those organizations from an adult learning principles and really working to develop workforces. But we've seen through this uh, last, again, with this trend towards the convergence of how people learn, that we're seeing the adoption of these principles across any modality, so education, even K-12, to um, post-secondary specifically, right? So when COVID hit, um, you know, people that were, were ready to transform 
uh, we certainly help them. And so the last couple of years, we have jumped right into the post-secondary I imagine space. the post-secondary red phone, bat phone was ringing off the hook probably about, a, about exactly 12 months ago right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it allowed us to scale very quickly. So we got to help a, a few of the you know Canadian post-secondary institutions sort of maintain that, that asynchronous learning, you know, maintain that the revenue from a, from a, you know, from, from a tuition perspective by keeping their, their students engaged in an online environment and by both creating infrastructure as well as just a rapid acceleration of content development in a in a in, you know in a, in a more experiential way right not and what we found there was also just helping faculty so that the teachers the subject matter experts be a little more understanding of what that actually means from being in the classroom versus being online and so uh, guiding them along not sort of taking away their their knowledge but actually enhancing it and making it a, a more of a asynchronous experience for them it feels, and I'm, again, this is my own personal view, I've heard a lot of talk and read a lot of articles about the burden on the, the student, and they're not getting the experience they used to get, and, and that all of a sudden they're paying this tuition, and now it's digital, and you know, maybe I'm just talking about my niece talking about her first year of university and how disappointing to not be able to be there. But do you think about these educators that are like experts beyond experts in what they're teaching, and all of a sudden their world got flipped on its head pretty aggressively as well. Like I've been teaching this way for 20 years, and sure, I've evolved my curriculum, but all of a sudden, man, that's a left hook for them, I would say, even more than the 19-year-old should be able to adapt a little bit more. So I'm speaking directly to my niece right now. Um, <laughs> but I, I kept, I've been doing something for 20 years, and I'm a clearly an expert at a professor. And now all of a sudden, like there's a lot. All the stakeholders got their worlds flipped on their head. Just just trying to give a little credit, maybe where credit is due. Yeah, there was a lot of anxiety-inducing uh, sort of shifting there. I know I have two girls in university, and both are you know suffered with having to you know work and study in isolation, not having those social connections in the classroom. Uh, talk to a lot of faculty across the country that, you know, struggled with actually how to create that experience that they've been sort of, you know, very passionate about in the classroom for, you know, for, yeah, 20, 30 years. And how do you actually let go of that now and just put it out there online for the students to consume? Um, you know, we know that it's not a it's not a one to one relationship. It's, it's not the same, of course, uh, but there are ways to augment, you know, that classroom experience with a good experience online. And depending on the subject, um, you know, we can take that very much to even hands on and behavioral type teaching. So, you know, there's a lot of simulative type teaching we can do a lot of and that's where where technology today will help institutions actually have that sort of two way feedback loops when it comes to faculty and student and have a better experience that way. It, it it does take commitment though that's that's for sure yeah, everything's getting what, what's your thoughts and just this is just armchair point of view on that the, the conversation around the value the value proposition of like wow tuition's the same but I don't get to go to class I don't get to have these experiences and I know that COVID will I believe will work its way through the system and we'll get back to some type of new normal which I don't think will be status quo like it was before is it you know maybe this is a nice time to pivot into some of these new technologies is some of that access to new technology is where maybe we can kind of reestablish a new a new value proposition that isn't the same as it was before, but virtual and all the different tools that we have that you're not just sitting in front of a PowerPoint slide answering questions at the end. We've all done that. And I think sometimes e-learning feels like that's the only option and that's not awesome sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a, a, the bigger picture I've seen right now is, is a struggle that post-secondary institutions are having for their actual validity in, in our economy and workplace. You know, we, we're seeing a declination, like the, the Decline of actually, you know, post-secondary uh, jobs, you know, versus 
you know, trades versus, you know, startups versus a number of other things. So there's, there's been a struggle already. And so now with COVID and with, with the, you know, going online, I think there's a, there's going to be a market adjustment, of course, right? The value will be dictated by the marketplace and some organizations will get it and some won't. So as, you know, post-secondary institutions are raising their price on a virtual experience, of course, you have to look at the value of that. And I think there's some questions around the validity of that. And I'm sure, and I know, you know, my two girls question that, you know, why, why do I have to sit at home and pay more and not have the same experience? Uh, the outcome is, is, of course, the validity of that diploma, you know, degree or, you know, post-grad work. And uh, that's where, you know, the validity comes in. Is that, is that knowledge still being transferred? And at the end of the day, we have to look at that, you know, is, is the actual outcome the same? The experience might not be the same, but again, is that person going to be a viable, uh, you know, person when it comes to that certification? And so two ways to look at it. I think the experience, of course, is going to be much different. And for some, they actually appreciate the ability to actually get a university education anywhere and any time. Yeah, accessibility, or, accessibility is a big, that, that's an interesting concept. For those of us who live in big city and have abun- like education abundance, that's not, that's not relevant everywhere. Even if you, you know, drive three hours from here, that changes that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see, you know, great, like an Alberta institution like Athabasca, who's done very well in a virtual environment. And, and so, you know, broadening there, you know, they are a global player in the, in the post-secondary education side. So, you know, I think there's going to be opportunity for post-secondary institutions and some that are going to not get it and uh, not make it. And uh, we're seeing that already. And you can't underestimate the, I'm assuming your two, your two daughters or my niece and my nephew who's going off to school. There's a lot more learning that goes on, not just the classroom. Like there, there is a kind of a rite of passage that happens in that environment. And, you know, we've all seen the movies and they've like, they're, they're, they're anticipating this thing. And all of a sudden now that's being removed. Learning might not be the full, the full play we're talking about here <laughs> or traditional in learning versus having, having that, that experience, which like, let's be honest, is uh, it grows you as a person, good, good, bad, or indifferent. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're trying to learn. We're actually try, starting to understand neurologically how humans learn, right? So, you know, classroom knowledge transfer, testing, but, you know, behavior, you know, how, how we actually neurologically adapt and consume information and turn that into knowledge and behavior. And uh, although we have a lot of research around that, I think the, a lot of the education still has to catch up to some of that to create those experiences that allow for the ongoing sustainability and retention of knowledge. Because right now it's the stats are, you know, if I'm going to take a class and a test, how much do I remember in 72, yeah. you know, hours or three weeks or three months at that point? So interesting versus how fast and kind of the world of, of digital media is really good at gaining our attention, pulling us in. You know, the things that you learn just by the level of engagement they create, I can imagine there's a significant gap there and just the attention the battle for your attention, like you said, interrupt that 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 consumption of information to actually learn something along the way. When you think about the new tools that are coming down the pipe, you've been in this for for twenty plus twenty years. Which ones get you the most excited? As far as like, wow, like that's really going to change how we're able to engage with people and help them to be so immersed that they just can't help but learn. <laughs> Yeah, I think, well, I think there's two uh, from my perspective, you know, the mixed reality side, you know, our our belief is augmented reality, uh, which allows you to bring media into your environment. So, you know, wherever you are, you can bring knowledge and digital media into your space and uh, and actually, you know, have it intertwine with your experience in real time. So you can actually stay where you are, do what you're doing and have knowledge interweaved with uh, your experience. 
So that's that's one is just you know the ultimate cool for us because we can actually see the real time value in that in almost uh, any any industry and, and institution. And the other is this mobility. You know, like within a few years, the majority of our workforce globally is going to be freelance. It's going to be mobile. And so, how do we get knowledge to to the hands of of the relevant people in time and uh, when they need it? And so AI is really going to be play a big part in that, where we can actually now adapt to environments that will, you know, understand what a person needs to know before they do. So we can understand where they are, you know, what they need to know, what they do know, and then feed that difference to them in real time. So we can actually, you know, create high, not only higher productivity, but you know, save lives and have a safer, safer worker there. So those two things from us, from our perspective, are very exciting. Okay, let's let's go down this rabbit hole a bit. So uh, this is what I heard. Tell, tell me if I'm, if I'm. This is what I heard. Okay, uh, uh, you know, mixed reality and augmented reality, and bringing in the model of X onto your desk with your phone to the point you can actually see it. Okay, that makes sense to me. But you touched on something else that really caught my interest. Like I'm on the job site, any kind of a job, and based on even how my behavior or how I'm interacting with the equipment around me or whatever the case may be, the system might identify that there's a learning gap based on my behavior and could actually serve up a learning module to me ahead of me making a potential mistake. Like, sorry, I'm really paraphrasing the heck out of what you said, but is that kind of what is that kind of what I heard? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you look at big data and some of the metrics that we can bring into play when it comes to learning, right? So location is, is a perfect one. So I'm on site. Uh, am I in the right spot? You know, am I actually in a dangerous spot or am I in a safe spot? And uh, for doing my job, you know, do I actually have the tools that I need? You know, have I checked them out? Have I signed up my work order? Have, you know, have I, do I have the competencies to do that job? So in my, you know, in my you know, HR profile, do I have the certifications to do what I need to do? Well, now we're getting into the credentials, walleting and yeah. blockchain and some of the really cool stuff there, Absolutely. which is, it's not, that's not the future. That's, that's, that's now that's real time. Absolutely. You know, and we can also bring, bring biometrics into this as well, right? So how is my anxiety level? Am I sweating profusely trying to do a basic job? So little things like that for a safety perspective, but also just how the person's doing. So, you know, is this anxiety inducing or are they calm and happy in doing this job? Because, because we know there's a degradation of kind of neural function and your nerve, your nervous system is functioning differently if you're in that heightened, like in anxiety, you're not going to perform. You can't react. You're, everything changes. Exactly. Yeah. It's, so interesting. And it's all going to be integrated into a system that can read and analyze the potential outcomes of that based on past, not only yourself, but a thousand other people that have performed in that same role at that same place. Exactly. Yeah. And we can also bring in some of the data from that real world environment. So whether they're working on site, you know, with, with machinery that has data or, um, you know, a large aggregate of the data that will, will provide the user with the best user data they can for that particular job and task. How far are we away in your mind? So we're going way down the rabbit hole here. Uh, as, as, as I thought we might with just computing power and even just network accessibility, like, like again, you get out on because you're talking a lot. These are remote sites. Like this is like, if you really want to talk about where safety, let's put ourselves in industrial environments where we've got big equipment and like high risk, like people can die. My office, I might have a bad day, but I'm probably not going to die uh, based on something go going, going wrong. Uh, are, are we there? Like, is there self-sustained networks that are kind of allowing that level of computing power and data processing to happen now? Yeah, I think so. I, actually, you know, we have a lot of, of, of case studies that each one of those will work in individual scenarios, uh, all coming together in a unified way. We're, we're not there yet. We still have areas of the okay. planet and, you know, even our own country that don't have the bandwidth or connectivity. 
We have populations that are living in a, you know, sort of marginal areas and don't have access. They, they still have dial. They still have dial-up. Yeah, still don't have access to uh, sort of the bandwidth they need or the digital literacy or infrastructure that they that they need. Uh, but certainly, the the you know the computing power is there. The connections are there with the Internet of Things and sort of the you know I always say there's an API for everything, but uh, for the most part we can connect the dots and we're trying to do so as quickly as possible. There's some scenarios where we have a good you know uh, recipe for for a lot of that with our products and for the most part we run into challenges and and some sites you know don't even allow the carrying of a mobile device or access to technology because it's not safe to do so you know a gas plant where a spark might set off things so there's there's those issues as well so there's a lot to overcome um, people don't understand how a large industry, you know, primarily born in an analog time, have a long way to go to actually catch up to where some of these leading edge, leading edge technologies are. And we have the, sort of the, the challenge of overcoming, you know, a legacy systems, legacy technology, and uh, sort of leapfrogging into a, a new world of, you know, that industry 4.0 technology. Do you see any gap with like large enterprise versus even small to medium size? Like as technology becomes more accessible, the large enterprise is actually trying to get over its legacy systems and this is the way we've done it and it's such a complex environment where I've had other guests on where they talked about actually smaller to medium sized companies have an advantage because they can process, the, they're, they're, they have a better understanding of their data, they can usually get access better, there's less silos and it's less kind of disconnected. It, it kind of, I, I, I had the other thing in mind, like oh, bigger just has the deeper pockets and the more horsepower and they said no, actually sometimes when it comes to data and like understanding how to know what your data is and what you can do with it to then make changes faster from a digital transformation that medium middle medium-sized enterprise is actually a little better positioned yeah there's certainly an argument of being nimble and smaller right in terms of being that that, that agility is required and i think large enterprises are starting to understand the value of being agile and actually running a lean organization and just keep iterating um, the legacy systems, I think we'll see there, you know, those enterprise large systems will see their end of day and, you know, just a myriad of, of small agile systems to, to, to support will, will be our future. So interesting how it's changing. How is the last, you know, obviously it sounds like you said the last five years. How's the last 12 months been for you guys? You guys were already remote. So again, you did that before it was cool. Well, actually, <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. Well, actually the funny story there, Tyler, is that uh, about three years ago, you know, we decided that we, we saw an increase, we needed to do more R&D and be a little more creative in our solutions. So we did uh, open up a new office here in Calgary and uh, brought okay. about 18 people back into that. And uh, and then when, when COVID hit last March and we dispersed back into that virtual world, we did so overnight and seamlessly because that was sort of in our DNA already. And so that was not really a barrier for us and we, we did quite well. Uh, but what happened within a few weeks is, uh, you know, by April, we we, the, the demand hit us and that the, the need from our clients to accelerate that digital transformation even faster. Uh, we, we tripled in size this last year. We, we actually doubled in the first, uh, you know, 60 days and uh, brought on a, because we are, that, that, that comes with all kinds of its own things for sure. Congrats. That's awesome. Like from your guys' perspective, but let's not be lost on like, that's very real. Yeah. And, you know, for, from my perspective, I've always been an advocate of sustainable growth has been my verbiage, but uh, that was, there was nothing sustainable about that growth, but we actually did it quite frictionlessly and we actually did it quite well. And uh, mostly because just our great leadership team and the fact that we had access to some great talent from around the country that we brought in, you know, sort of that was, you know, again, thanks to COVID, available, and uh, so we we amassed a, a team of experts very quickly, and uh, I wouldn't say quite plug and play, but uh, it was uh, it was a great learning curve for us, and we we adapted very well. That's well, what you it's it's kind of what you practice for, right? It's you go it's it's, it's you go to the gym so that you're ready to go on powder days. That's kind of what that. that I love I love that like. analogy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't go to the gym to be better at the gym. I go to the gym to be better at anything that happens to come my way. So curious, access to talent. You guys were remote, so that obviously created a barrier of like, no, we can go anywhere to look for, for talent. How is the talent pool? Like, and curious, those roles, like that double in size, were they all tech-specific roles? And like, I, it's a constant conversation I have on the show is access to talent, like that 10-year full-stack developer that I can't find or that product manager who's got eight years' experience. I just can't find it here. And, you know, and even remote, it's so competitive that they're actually becoming like scarce unicorns everywhere. Yeah, the talent pool is certainly, certainly dwindling here or diluting, you know, especially in Alberta. We were, we were lucky to be able to go nationwide. And so when March hit, we, we, we were lucky that not only were we prepared to grow, we had a great culture and we had a great uh, sort of environment to work within. And so that helped us at, uh, attract really good talent as well and now retain them. Because even in the, in the last 12 months, we've seen a massive increase in demand and competitiveness for talent. So as we, we've had to get a little more aggressive in, in our talent search, uh, but that said, you know, what has really set us apart from others is that in fact that we've been able to maintain a very sort of you know, family-oriented culture here, where we always take care of our own first, and making sure we're you know having fun and taking care, caring of ourselves, and then you know with that being profitable, doing great work for our clients. So we have both over a ninety percent client retention and over a ninety percent employee retention here at Xpand because of it. That's awesome. Those are those are great. Those are get metrics. How much of your team is here versus versus global? And like when you when we say like work from anywhere. Are your team overseas or is it mainly North America? Like, do you guys work inside a certain time zone kind of parameter? Or like, just there's so many versions of, you know, remote first or, or work from home. Yeah, in a current state, we are Canadian based right now. So we're entirely Canadian, uh, our workforce. Okay. Oh, okay. And uh, out of our, we have 57 expanders right now. And I think there's about 37 that are in Calgary. And the rest are from, you know, uh, literally the Vancouver Island to the very East Coast. Nice. I love it. I, I like the Canada. I, I'll take that. I like the Canada piece all day long. So curious, how do you guys um, upskill your talent? Like, to, where do your people go to learn? Because it's, it's like weird. weird it's maybe it's like sometimes the marketing company who doesn't do their own marketing well. I'm curious, not saying you don't, but how do you guys tackle that? Because I'm assuming you're like literally your team's encountering new technologies all the time that could could show up in the way you deliver your curriculums to your clients, and but also weeding out what's effective and what's just the shiny thing that maybe isn't ready to come kind of come to the table yet. Yeah, we have, we've had to formalize that both in professional development and research and development. So, you know, in terms of increasing budgets for both and making sure that we have, you know, leaders in each one of those areas that can disseminate that information across a team. Um, so we have a couple of leaders that are sort of at the, the leading edge of what we, you know, get going to the conferences, doing the, the, the training and uh, making sure that we can actually bring that knowledge back into our institution and, and continue, to continue to grow from within. You know, this is one thing I go back with a long time and working with, you know, the, the Alberta post-secondary institutions. We have great colleges here and, and universities. Um, you know, investment in a STEM is, is very much needed. And so building an ecosystem where we can actually build and keep talent in Alberta is really key to this growth of the tech sector in Alberta. And I think we have a ways to go. And, uh, you know, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is today. So, you know, the, we have to start and always continue to build that and, and making sure that talent's available. Yes, because when you, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you need it, it's already too late kind of, kind of mindset. Well, someone who's been involved and has some optics on the Calgary kind of te tech scene, we'll just, we'll just call it for lack, you can, there's a million buzzwords kind of floating around. What do you see? Is there anywhere we're getting in our, is there anything that we're getting in our own way on that if you could, you know, do the magic wand and go, man, if we could have, even if it was a couple years ago, because like you said, like, let's, let's talk about what we haven't done well and maybe anything that you're really proud of and excited about to see that even in the last couple of years, maybe we're doing things a little bit better and some things are happening that five years ago, you were like, man, we really need to get on 
on that? Any, any goods or bads or you know, betters or worse kind of list? Um, well, the, the only the, the only one comment I want to say there is the fact that you know Calgary's always tried to be like you know like another like a Silicon Valley or like this, um, and of course every jurisdiction on the planet is trying to do that. And so only now are we actually trying to be Calgary. And I think it's really important for us to be authentic and real. Calgary is very unique. Alberta is very unique. And there, there's our value proposition right there. You know, the, the structure, the, you know, the, the values that this, or this, this province has, you know, goes far, far beyond just, uh, you know, the traditional oil and gas. And we have a, we have a lot to offer here. So I think that relevancy is where, you know, one of our barriers. And just being us, I think, is a sort of key to our future success in that regard. I've heard that you're not the only guest who's kind of brought that. Like, let's stop with this, like, be someone else or waiting for some, like, kind of white knight company to show up and change our stars. Like, we have to change our stars, which is also more Albertan, I would say, than the alternative of someone else is going to do it for us kind of mindset. When it comes to the tech sector, the sector, it's not a sector, it's just, it's an underpinning of, of, of everything from a, you know, economy and where we're headed. And this is maybe a little 30,000 foot question. When we think about the the ability for you know technology and the technology startups and some of these companies that are putting head offices here and kind of slowly we're seeing some of that, what are your thoughts on the ability for that to move the needle in our province versus you know the role the resource sector can play? And I don't mean resource just in oil and gas. Like obviously, there's lots of conversations around hydrogen right now, geothermal. You know, I had someone bring up small scale nuclear as a concept around the need for energy. And uh, there was an argument someone put to me the other day of like you know look at all this like buzz and movement we've got in the tech with technology. Can it really move the needle on a on a provincial or an, on an economic level where some of those maybe really large scale resource projects could? And just curious, your view of someone who's been in this industry for a while and kind of really made success, uh, just looking at kind of the overall economic you know need we have for just you know to to have some big things happen here sooner than later. Yeah, I think people don't realize. I mean, I think people do realize how large the economic footprint of the resource sector is here, and it's hard to compete with. Uh, but iteratively, we can build that. So other companies coming in as one thing you know that, that's a good start uh, building culture here to, to sustain and retain that is going to be another piece of the puzzle so as these you know whether it's a hydrogen you know nuclear tech film gaming even the resource sector is getting more sophisticated you know to have mm -hmm. a to actually retain that economy here we have to look at the ancillary variables that actually keep a, an economy like this viable when it comes to people so that comes back to like livable cities right healthcare walkable cities public transportation arts and culture the very foundations of what a worker would want to stay here for not so much the industry they're working within but actually the the uh the fabric in, in which they're you know they live work and play has to be intertwined into that so we have to make sure we take care of that piece and then all of it will come together uh, because it's wonderful to see the great investment and, and that's really thanks to the really hard work of the grassroots and the people on the ground that are really mm -hmm. advocating for you know this this sector and uh, it's wonderful to see and it's starting to it's starting to pay dividends we have to keep that that pedal to the metal metal to the pedal whatever whichever way that goes no no pedal to metal. no i think you got it yeah yeah no, we, I think go. we grew up in a similar era no i know what that means uh, there we go but for the most part yeah so i mean that you know the brand is being created and uh, you know people are taking starting to take notice you know globally of of what alberta and specifically calgary in this tech sector has to offer and uh, it's a wonderful to see we're seeing there's a couple of variables that are, are lending to that because you know, we're, we're seeing a migration out of urban centers, but, you know, Calgary is still young enough to attract that. It has the best of both worlds right, in terms of cost of living, as well as, the, you know, the outdoors, as well as the, um, the livability. So I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that. 
Compared to living in downtown Toronto, living in Calgary is kind of rural living a little bit. Like, and I say that in a complimentary way. I, I would say so. <laughs> I love my trips to Toronto, but I love coming back to Calgary as well at the, on a Friday night at the end of it all. I look forward to traveling back to Toronto and seeing my team out there, but there's, there's a lifestyle of living downtown or like, well, cause we're looking at Montreal, Vancouver, some of the places we're competing with that are a little bit cooler than ours. They've got a cool buzz, but when you've got a quality of life and access to so much here, you're right. And I think to attract some of that talent here and yes, remote first and yes, people can work from anywhere, but the quality of life here is awesome, but we need some of those other things, the walkability, the cultural aspects, like, cause we're like in a global world, we're also competing against, against cities that have like 50 year reputations of being the coolest, like New York's and, and Montreal's and those things. Like that's very real. If you're 30 years old looking to go, where do I want to, where do I want to go hang out for a while? Yeah. <laughs> I've always seen it in COVID or the biggest barriers is around, you know, like childcare. So, I mean, you know, we have out of our 57 X banners, you know, there's probably more kids than there are workers in our, in our workforce. And so you, know, <laughs> you guys are outnumbered. Well, we are numbered probably by dogs too, actually. But for that, for that, that's a, that's a difference. Well, COVID is, <laughs> uh, yes, the COVID's done that in spades for sure. So, you know, with that said, how do we make sure our parents are, are you know, especially in a virtual environment, able to have a, a healthy and balanced lifestyle for their families? Again, the city has to, you know, the, the place in which we live, you know, has to be a part of that fabric as well. I really appreciate you bringing that up because we talk. You talk about big economic change. It's easy to talk about the big shiny, like big infrastructure projects and funding for this and tax incentives over here. But there's still a bunch of humans, right? Like we haven't we haven't factored ourselves completely out of the equation as of yet. And if that if those individuals are not feeling supported or don't have the life that they need, they're not going to be able to contribute to come up with those big ideas that move move quote unquote move the needle. Oh, it's so easy to kind of go down just the the, the economics and the just the, the dollars and cents of it all, where it's still a bunch of humans coming together to create something bigger than themselves. Yeah, humans need that safety, that environment, the space to be able to create the bigger things and, and you know, execute on those wonderful ideas that they come up with. And there's no lack of them. You know, we have, you know, we're the most innovative, uh, you know, time of our, of our lives and the sort of human existence. So lots of opportunities in front of us that we can leverage. I was talking to uh, Jim Gibson from, uh, from State School Advanced School of Digital, and he said, you know, if you've got even an inkling of entrepreneurialism in or even a thought that you might, this is the time. Like he was like kind of rallying cry. It was great. Because when I was a kid, you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur, like you got sent to remedial class. Like that, wasn't a, that was not a celebrated thing. Where now I love the side hustle and that ability to like to get out and make something happen and scale it quickly and test it, see if it works using technology. Like it is a really, you're right, like you said, like it's never been more innovative. There's never been more opportunity. It's not that it isn't hard. It's still hard work. But man, the doors are, you can throw the doors open pretty quickly just about anywhere you want. I, I do love Calgary for that. It is one of our superpowers, our willing to help and support each other. I think the city does that better than anywhere I've lived. And I've uh, good cities that I've spent time in, but you got to kind of work your way in and get the trust and then you'll get a chance. We're here, uh, even a hint of someone providing value and they'll get a chance. It's. I think I really believe in Calgary for that. That is one of our superpowers. It is a vibrant, uh, energetic and a very entrepreneurial city. You know, very, very much yes, so. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's still, we, even though we've had a tough, like challenging five years and there is that sense of abundance it isn't like there's enough there was it always felt like there was enough to go around and that creates a different mindset of collaboration versus the you know i gotta get mine and take yours and i know there's arguments in the energy sector that there was a little bit of like stealing whether it's like real estate or employees or you know in the the tech environment that i've been exposed to it definitely feels like there's an in inclusivity of, of people wanting this to really work and therefore willing to support each other i'm not sure if that's been your experience over the last 20 years yeah there's certainly that's that's the majority of the people in this you know we, we're all in it to make the pie bigger rather than slicing got our own piece of that pie and so we, we know it's always in best interest to make make that pie bigger for everybody because it's in the best interest of, of everyone and uh, slicing our own little piece at the cost of others is, is never a good way to go 
No, that's a that's a low sum. That's a yeah, that's a low net outcome game. <laughs> Ron, I really appreciate it. I feel like I still have a million questions to ask, but really curious, really interesting to one kind of overlay the fact that you know over the last twenty years and the journey and kind of what you've learned from the experience of also being in Calgary. But really curious, I think the road for education and that real time and like you know education when you need it and the right education delivered in a way that's engaging to you. That's only going to come more as 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 our jobs change and we need to reskill. And you take really smart people and say, oh well, that thing you really smart at oh, it's not exactly what we need anymore but you need to go over here and I think that's such an interesting and I'm running to that conversation whether it's talking to the post-secondary or talking to to enterprise or anyone everyone is like what do I need to learn next to do this next thing I need to do to move me to the next level it's like we're living in a big video game a little bit <laughs> yeah the, the analogy I use and we can look back at history sometimes to learn right so the 80s when we saw sort of a mass transition from of media from like the media you know top three media networks to the hands of users, right? So desktop publishing or, you know, and when the internet came along, it was, you know, now look, YouTube now produces more content than every network combined. And uh, so now education is doing the same. So the, the subject matter experts are becoming the teachers and, uh, and now the technology is allowing them to do so. And so we're only at the very beginning of that journey and uh, it's only going to get more fun. And as we understand you know, all the value that we can create for humans and advance people faster, uh, education is going to be the savior of us, you know, globally, right, in terms of the education of, uh, you know, the, the, small, the, the lower economies of our, of our world. So how do we help them and bring in developing countries faster? And I think this is a good way to go. Yeah, it's no secret around statistics around level of education has a direct correlation to GDP and kind of success and lifting people up to create a more universal level of success versus the haves and have not mindset. Education is usually a big part of that equation. Absolutely. And technology can give access faster. Yeah, that democratic. Demo democratization of it and like you know, I like you just said earlier on the podcast it's really about access right and, and we use that term a lot you know knowledge is no longer a commodity it's becoming democratized right so you know how can we actually open that up for more hmm that's powerful. Well, c congratulations on your success. Thank you for the cool work you do and coming on the show today. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you in, uh, in terms of like one, just maybe, maybe, maybe looking for a new opportunity, but also looking to maybe bring something new into their own organizations in terms of how they, they tackle education? Well, I always love to talk shop. So come check, uh, check us out at expand.ca. And um, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to be found through the website as well. So uh, always reach out and I can be uh, always open for a conversation because uh, I'm a big advocate for this. It's awesome, Ron. Thanks for your time today. Really enjoyed our chat. Thank Tyler, you. Thanks so much for having me.